This Sunday is the last in the series of Empowered, and uh, we have been looking at the way in which uh, we can live a holy life. Now, this series, many of you will remember, actually started in the autumn last year. We did a series on the blessing, and uh, as we taught that, we felt that we wanted to know more about how we position ourselves to receive God's blessing. All these series, by the way, are up on the videocast podcast on the website or app, and you can catch up or fill in gaps uh, by looking on the website. But there was this real sense in which we, we, we were excited by the sense that we were inheritors of, of God's blessing, the very blessings that he poured out upon Abraham, that hero of the faith, could be ours today. And so we were excited by that concept. And so... We wanted to know more about that. How does that work? And then we started teaching about holiness and in a series called The Difference. And, and so we looked at that. And then finally, uh, we moved, we transitioned into this series called Empowered. Uh, and uh, we've said uh, that there was a great disconnect in the church today. And the disconnect was basically the disconnect between what we say and what we do. And you will all be aware that the church is accused of hypocrisy, and frankly, rightly so in many cases. So how are we going to distance ourselves? How are we going to move away from that? How are we going to begin to walk the talk? And so we started teaching this series called Empowered, and one of the key thoughts about that is that actually it grows out of authentic fellowship with Jesus. Authentic fellowship, friendship, if you will, with Jesus. And one of the incredible things that is so often overlooked in the Christian faith is that at the very heart of the Christian faith is the person of Jesus and the fact that it is God's intention that we can have relationship with him. It is an extraordinary thing that God's heart is for us to know him through his son, our Savior, Jesus. And then we said that the Holy Spirit is given, and normally when we teach about the Holy Spirit in a church like this, we would talk about spiritual gifts and how you minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we do seminars, and we get asked to go overseas and everywhere and places to talk about this from time, you know, from time to time. <coughs> Excuse me, from time to time. But in fact, the truth of the matter is that that's not just what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is there to make Jesus real to us and to empower us to live the holy life. You know, if God says to us, be holy because I'm holy, well, we can say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, but not know how to begin. And so the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a holy life, which positions us to know God's blessing and favor, and uh, we find ourselves growing up and going on in the Christian faith. So that's been what we've been really working on this year, and this is the last talk in that empowered series. So... Have I prayed already? Yes. I pr did I just pray when I stood up? I can't even remember that. Did I? Yes. I did. Let me pray again. I want to pray, obviously. Lord, I want to say thank you to you. Lord, open up your word to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm flipping between the last service and this service. <laughs> the, last, the, the last service was wonderful. But uh, this, is, this is going to be all right. <laughs> Okay, so this, this story, I, I, I want to spend some time today talking about one of my heroes, uh, my, one of my heroes in the faith, and uh, you know, all the, all the ones you'd expect are there, but there's a lady, a woman, actually in the Old Testament, and she's called Abigail, 
and she is an amazing woman. And she's one of my heroes. And it's good to sort of, you know, speak about heroes of the faith and women who are heroes of the faith. And uh, so I'm going to be talking about Abigail. And the reason I'm talking about Abigail is because in this series, you know, we have said, we've had a little key verse. It's Titus chapter 2. Let's just bung that on the screen for, uh, for a moment. Thank you. Titus chapter 2. And it says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This empowerment that we're talking about, this grace that we're talking about, is not just for holy Joes and goody-goodies and religious types. This grace, this gift of God uh, in Christ, this empowerment by the Holy Spirit is for all people. And it goes on to say, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In this present age. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, this age I'm finding very challenging, very disconcerting. Uh, I'm a bit of a news junkie. I, 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 I like watching uh, you know, the, the news uh, now, with uh, the you know, BBC News things on my app, you know, one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning is look at the apps. And quite frankly, the last few weeks, it's been pretty appalling. The news that's been coming out, you know, bombings here, tragedies there, stabbings there, stabbings here, you know, uh, even the Olympics. I was watching the, the cycling yesterday, and while we were watching this, uh, the cycling, there was a huge explosion. It turned out to be a controlled explosion because there was a suspicious bag at the, at the finishing line. I mean, it's just so fraught with danger and difficulty, so fraught with challenge. You know, relationships are under great stress and strain. People have financial worries. You know, that's what this life looks like. And it's tempting to say to ourselves, when we consider the scripture, when you come to church on, the, on a Sunday, it's, it's tempting to say, I just want to take a little time out where everything is safe and everything's secure and everything sounds kind of rosy because my life ain't like that. And it's just nice to believe that somewhere in la-la land, it's a much better place. The truth of the matter is that this gospel, this Christian message, this news, is made for this present age. This present age. There is grace, there is power to follow Christ and to make a difference in this present age. And isn't it funny that when I want to emphasize that, that I'm going to go back two and a half, 2,700 years, as it were, to talk about Abigail and, and a situation back there. But the reason I want to do that is that she shows extraordinary grace in very challenging circumstances, indeed life-threatening circumstances, and, and it just inspires me to see that the ancients were dealing with the same kind of issues that we deal with. She was basically married to an abusive husband. I'm not going to ask for a, a show of hands here. Thank God we've got many good, strong marriages, and we've got good relationships, but we, you know, we live in the real world, the 21st century world. You know, our pastoral department is continually dealing with these kind of challenges. And here's Abigail in the back end of nowhere, 
and she's living in an abusive relationship, and yet in that, she somehow stays sane, she keeps her wits about her, she's true to God and true to herself, and in fact, God uses her in an extraordinary way because she's ready and she's available. Anyway, I'm going to read a chunk of scripture. We're going to stop and, and uh, make comments along the way, but basically, the rest of this talk is reading one chapter, one chapter of the Bible. And it's 1 Samuel chapter 25, and you might like to turn with me to that. And uh, on your smart devices, it'll come up on the screen, but I'm actually going to be a bit naughty. I'm going to include something that I hadn't anticipated. It was just as I was preaching in the last service, I thought, Do you know what, I need, to, I need to include this as well. Let me just set the picture here, because there are three main characters in this story. There's Abigail, who stands out. There's her husband, Nabal. We'll hear more about him in just a moment. And there's David, who was to become King David. Now, David, in the previous chapter, has, a, has a, an opportunity to kill his enemy. And his enemy is King Saul. Now, just a little bit of background here. Uh, what was, where we are in, in, the, in the story of God's people, the story of Israel, is that having been rescued from Egypt, a slave nation that's brought out of Egypt, they finally, after 40 years wandering around the desert, come into this promised land that God ha, ha, had promised them. And they've been there for a while, they've started to settle, and, and the first king of Israel, the first and only real king of Israel, is God himself. God had actually said to them, you will not be like other nations. I will be your God, and I will dwell in the midst of you. And that he had been true to that promise. But it's funny, as people got a more settled mentality, they began to hanker for a king, like a physical king, like Queen Elizabeth II or, or, you know, or whoever. And actually that caused great offense to God because he said, excuse me, I'm your king. And they said, well, we know that. Yeah, 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 of course you've got a king. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But, you know, the other nations don't think we've got a king. Uh, so we'd like a king, please. And it really caused some problems, I have to say. But anyway, out of that, this young man, fine, tall, strapping young man, man full of promise, was appointed king of Israel, King Saul. He started well. Sadly, he didn't finish well. In fact, he, he so went off the rails that God relented or repented even, if you like, of appointing him king. And so he said to his senior prophet in the land, a guy called Samuel, do you know I rue the day that I called Saul to be king of Israel. Now go to this family, they're a shepherd's family, and there's a young man I've chosen there, and I'm going to appoint him king over Israel. And that was David, who we're going to hear about in this story. But for a time, there was this really difficult situation. I mean, it's an unenviable situation, whichever way you look at it, where Saul is on the king, but he becomes aware that there is this other, this, this, that the blessing, if you like, has passed from him and has moved, it's transferred. The anointing, the calling is now on this young shepherd boy called David. And for years... Uh, David grows and grows in stature as a warrior, as a leader of the people. Everybody can see leadership on him. But whilst all that is happening, Saul is trying to kill him, trying to assassinate him. 
and it's absolutely murderous. It's not even, it's not even you know, clever or, 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 or you know, there's no conspiracy. It's, it's blatant. And in 1 Samuel 24, the, the chapter immediately preceding this, there is an occasion where David is able or, or, or has Saul in a position where he could kill him. Uh, you know, it's in the Bible, so I, you know, it's, it's not particularly pretty, but David is hiding with some of his key men in the back of a cave, and Saul, would you believe, comes in to relieve himself in that cave. And, oh my gosh, is he tempted to do away with his enemy. But in fact, he counts to ten, decides to trust God as his deliverer, and he lets Saul go. Because David honors God and knows that whatever Saul may have done, God is well able to take Saul away, out, home, kill him if you will, at any point, and until that happens, Saul is still nominally Israel's anointed king. And he, he fears God enough to know, I'm not going to kill the king. You know, I know it would be a good idea. Thank you very much. Don't I know it, but I'm not going to kill the king. God is going to rescue me. So that's all just happened, literally just happened. And now we begin this chunk, this reading. I hope you'll enjoy it and get as much out of it as, as I have on many an occasion. We'll pick it up in... Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning at verse 2. A certain man in Maon who had property here at, there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. The reason for that little kind of comment there, he was a Calebite, was that he was of the tribe of the same family as Caleb, and Caleb was a superhero in Israel's history. And so this guy really, you know, he, he should have known better. He was of good stock, but he, but he didn't behave like that. He, he did not behave like that. So the story goes on. Verse 4, while David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, so he sent Ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs went missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Now, David and his followers, as we'll learn shortly, there were approximately 600 men and families, and they were dependent on the goodwill of the people. You know, and David was very popular amongst the people. And he, he basically did care for them and look after them, even though he was not king. And so at this time of harvest time, when there's plenty, he sends 10 young men to say, look, if there's, if there's anything that you can help you know, provide for us in these coming weeks or months, that'd be great. So they go. Verse 9. When David's men arrived there, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. And the implication in the Hebrew is that Actually, they, they were kept waiting a long time. Anyway, 
Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Now, David had been a, a, a dutiful servant in Saul's court, but he'd had to run for his life. So, you know, Nabal is saying, you know, times are in turmoil and people are running away from their masters. And this, who is this David? He's just another, another runaway. Why should I, you know, why should I give him, why should I listen to him? He goes on to say, why should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to men who come from who knows where? So contrary to popular belief, contrary to that which was known about David, he's saying, you know, what's David to me? You know, I, I certainly don't buy this kingship thing. Uh, I, I couldn't care less what he's done, you know. What's mine is mine. Woo. Verse 12, David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. David, when he heard it, wait for this, David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies, the families, the goats, the sheep, etc. Now one of the servants told Abigail, this hero of mine, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing went missing. Night and day they were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our masters and his whole household. He is such a wicked man, and no one can talk to him. Wowza. Now, at this point, Abigail could have thought, at last, he's going to get his comeuppance. I've had to live with him all these years, and now he's, he's put David out. Good. See if I care. But Abigail was not that kind of woman. Even though it was an abusive relationship, she was given grace because, of course, it wasn't just her master who was going to be slaughtered. It was going to be all the other men, and who knows what would happen to the women. So, verse 18, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go, go, hurry up, quick, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband. You can imagine what would have happened if she'd told her husband, oh, I'm just going to sort of take all these provisions to David, the bloke that you was rude to. I mean, that would, have, that would have gone down well, wouldn't it? So anyway, she sends the servants off with these kind of peace offerings, you know, quite an extravagant gift. Verse 20, as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. Now, just picture this. David is ticked off. He's letting the passions get the better of him. And his 400 warriors with him, their passions up. And they hear that Nabal's wife, and wow, she's a looker, is in front of them. What might Abigail reasonably have expected at that moment? Make your own mind up. 
Abigail stands in the way of harm to protect the man who has made her life misery. And what goes on here? As she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending to her, and she met them. David had just said, literally just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of them who belong to him. Murder was on his mind. Isn't it funny? I find myself marveling at this. He's only just been in this cave and Saul comes in who's been trying to murder him. I mean, Nabal hadn't tried to murder him. But Saul, this current king, has tried, he actually tries to murder him three times and puts out reward for him. So, in the cave, David is given grace to do the big thing, the big thing, and let Saul go. But when it comes to this thing, a slight over provisions, he wants to murder everyone, not just the bloke, but everybody else, all the other fellas as well. Do you know what? That's a bit like life, or at least my life. It may not be your life. Do you know when faced with certain challenges, big challenges, I'm surprised what human nature can come up with. I, I'm surprised at the, the wonderful way the image of God suddenly emerges in even the most unworthy of people. When faced with some terrible challenge, you know, people will, not everyone, but people will rise to it. They'll do good. And people you wouldn't have thought doing good would, will do good. In a, in a time of threat and disaster, people who you thought nothing of suddenly come out as... as as heroes. And certainly in this case, David did the right thing. He was given grace to see that this was the Lord's anointed and he should go free. But then he goes home, and next thing, he's girding up his sword to murder a load of innocents. It's often in the small things where we stumble and fall. The big things, as I said, curiously enough, we often do get right. The really, really big things. But where we really let people down, where we let our families down, where we let ourselves down, on those little daily challenges. And we need grace for those things. We need this grace that is present in this present age to live the Christian life where no one's looking, where there's no great big pat on the back going to happen, when it's just us and our families, our friends, our colleagues and all the rest of it. That's actually for many people the biggest challenge so here we have it this man who is not a king slayer is about to march off into the wilderness and murder 400 people he doesn't a bunch of people he doesn't even know so just an aside an observation so david has sworn that every male in nabal's family is going to be dead Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, to, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. 
And as for me, your servant, I did not see the Lord my, men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. She's beginning to construct a case. Even though her very life, her person, is at grave danger, God gives her the grace of wisdom. It actually says in the, in the scriptures, you know, you know, don't worry about what you're going to say when you are accused or, where, you know, God will give you grace. The Holy Spirit will know, will give you what the words to say. And here she's in this dire situation and yet God begins to, to give her a strategy. We'll see how it unfolds. So she goes on, verse 27, and let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Look, here it is, take everything, everything, take it. You know, I, I'm Mabel's wife, I'm sorry I wasn't there to greet your men, and, and, and yes, my husband behaved very, very badly, but please, 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 just take this gift now. Verse 28, she begins to put forward this amazing case. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for you, my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will ever be found in you as long as you both live, as, as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, that's Saul, the life my, of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living. Isn't that a wonderful expression? Bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Like a slingshot. goes on. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. So the case that she puts to him, talk about the grace of wit and wisdom and intelligence in that moment, is, is this. She says, David, everyone knows you're to be our king. And everyone knows the way Saul has tried to kill you and pursue you. But you know what, David? In the Lord's eyes, you have behaved magnificently. You've resisted the temptation to take revenge. You've resisted the temptation, you know, to take vengeance upon yourself. And you have relied upon the Lord to deliver you. But now, Lord, do not take this action upon yourself. Far be it from you, King David, when you become king of this great nation Israel, far be it from you to have on your conscience the shame of what you have determined to do today, the murdering of innocence, the murdering of innocence. So here she is in this incredibly vulnerable situation, pleading a case with intelligence, with a real touch of the Holy Spirit about her, 
being empowered with this grace in this death, death, horrible moment. And she speaks these words, you know, forgive my presumption, forgive me for saying this to you, but don't do it, Lord. Don't do it, King David, my Lord. Anyway, David then, this is how grace often works. She's exercised grace. Suddenly, it's as if David is, is somebody chucks a bucket, bucket of water over him almost. Let's see what he responds to this. Verse 32. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord lives, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. And then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace, I have heard your words and granted your requests. You know, he's all fired up. He's just made an oath. You know, you know, let God deal with me ever so severely if I don't kill everybody in that camp. And all his men are going, yeah, Ray, you know. And, and suddenly this woman, this vulnerable woman, speaking with presumption, being given the grace of humility instead of arrogance or defiance, being grace. Of, of having forborne this appalling husband for so long, being given grace to act quickly and not stand by, being given the grace to see what was potentially a great injustice in this situation, that innocence should be slain just because David's blood is up, being given to gra the grace to speak powerfully and winsomely to David. Suddenly David goes, my gosh, Oh, what was I thinking of? What? Well, that, that's it. What, what, what on earth's the matter with me? And, she's, and he says to Abigail, God bless you, woman. I could have done something that I would have regretted and would have shamed me for the rest of my life. So the king, this, this potential, this prospective king is given grace, is empowered to do the right thing. Whereas most people would have said, well, Nabal had it coming to him. And David did what many of us would have liked to have done. Extraordinary. So we have this situation here where in the face of extraordinary difficulties, she finds herself with this opportunity to, to, to do something to save not just her household, but also to save a king. Boy, did she know that that was going to happen when she got up that morning. And how does the story end? Because it goes beyond that. Verse 36. When Abigail went back to Nabal, uh-oh. Now she's going back, having been delivered from whatever at the hand of 400 fired-up warriors. Now she goes back to meet that abusive husband. When Abigail went back to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Good move. <laughs> then in the morning, when Nabal, Nabal was sober, probably with a thumping headache, 
When he was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he, sorry, <laughs> and he became like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So there he is, he's wandering around saying, oh, where's the Alka-Seltzer? Oh, my goody aunt. And she tells him, well, while you were partying, I saved our lives. What do you mean you saved our lives? Well, you know those guys that, that came from David and you sent them away empty-handed? Well, I took the very best of all of our stuff and gave it to them. You did what? And you can see the veins sticking out in his neck. He's going, you, what do you think? Collapses on the deck. And for 10 days, he's like stones on a court in a, like that. And then God takes him home or takes him to wherever God took him. I don't know. I suspect I know. And then the story goes on from that. Talk about happy endings. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong through that woman, Abigail, that word in season, that word of grace. Nabal's wrongdoing has come down on his own head. You know, folks, just as an aside here, one of the, you know, I've often told you the little prayers I pray quite frequently. I often ask the Lord to fight my battles for me. Uh, my, my wife, Lissy, will tell you that in my younger days, I, I, never, I, I never shied away from an argument. And I was, uh, you know, I was quite a battler and all the rest of it. And of course, some of that can be useful. But uh, as I've grown a little older and a little wiser, I found myself really not wanting to do that. You know, I... I, I I am of the personality that can really mix it when I, I want to. And increasingly, I find myself just saying to God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I, I just don't want to go that, down that way. Um, Lord, fight my battles for me. And that prayer I can use in, honestly, in, in, in ministry situations, in, in the leadership role that I function in this church. I mean, you're not surprisingly, you know, we... We face many challenges that you never even get to hear about and difficult people and people in pain who are sometimes very difficult and all sorts of stuff. And you can get easily defensive and you can get, you know, you can just say something you regret in the heat of the moment. And I just say, oh God, you know, just fight my battles for me. But I use it in all sorts of situations. You know, if I, you know, if, if, if I find that, you know, and I've, you know, if, if somebody's messing us around, we just bought up a new house a year ago and we've had some number of challenges with that. And again, Lord, just fight my battles for me. And, you know, when I buy something and I've got to return it because it's absolutely, you know, I, I used to love doing that, go and have a bit of a shout at some poor hapless assistant. Uh, but um, no, it's not right. And so I just say, Lord, just fight my battles for me. So I tend not to get worked up like that anymore. I think Fliss would nod and say, that's true, isn't it? You know. Um, the times that Fliss in, in, in our younger years when the family were little would say Chris, Chris, don't just let it be don't let it. but no, I was your man I was, I was in there <laughs> sorting it you know, taking care of business you know. um, but I just pray this prayer now and it works pretty good Lord, fight my battles for me and God seems to be happy to do that uh, it's a funny old thing, but God seems to be happy to do that. 
And what David was remembering here was that basically God had, had, had told him he would fight his battles for him. He did not need to put his sword on in this, in, in, to defend himself or to you know, you know, win his rights back and all this kind of stuff. That God would do that. And so, you know, uh, David remembers that and is grateful for that and he celebrates that fact. And then he, uh, and I'll just read it once again, you know, says, Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. Wow. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. And, you know, she might have said, who does he think he is? What? What kind of craziness is that? That was the sort of craziness that Fliss said to me when uh, one day I announced to her that I loved her and she was going to marry me. And uh, she didn't agree. But she's married to me now. <laughs> 44 years and still counting. But uh, it's, not that, it's not that hard, you know. <laughs> 41. Goes on to say, Abigail bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I'm your servant and I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Ab Abigail quickly, she was keen. Abigail quickly got on the donkey and attended her, by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. Now, as you know, in those days, kings had many wives, wives and concubines, you know, mistresses. And Abigail was actually David's third wife. His first wife was, was Micah, who was actually Saul's daughter. Daughter, uh, you know, Saul gave Micah to David. But even though, for political reasons and other reasons, David married again and again, which was often the way, Abigail was always a favorite of his. Because she was a woman who, in spite of great personal danger, was empowered. In spite of very challenging circumstances, was empowered. And that's what we're talking about. The ability and willingness of God. The grace of God, we've been talking about. Grace. The grace of God to enable ordinary, everyday people, whatever their background or circumstances, in spite of themselves, to do the right thing because God's way is the best way. David saw in this woman Abigail, not a doormat, that's all that Nabal saw in, in Abigail, a trophy wife. I'm the biggest, baddest guy on the plane, on, on the, uh, you know, the, the, the plane's meaning the uh, countryside. And look at this wife I've got, and she runs at my beck and call. He was loudmouthed, surly, and abusive. We know that from the scriptures. But David saw in her a woman of great integrity, a woman who, in spite of her circumstances, which were not good, was able to be true to God and God's principles and true to herself. She had a little bit of spirit left. It hadn't been knocked out of her. And that's challenging, I know, if you're in an abusive relationship. You start taking on 
all the abuse, you start believing it's your fault, you start what they becoming codependent, you start living your life in a way that will minimize the, the stress, the anger, and the, or, 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 or the abuse in your, in your partner. And it's very, very corrosive. But somehow or other, God's grace was sufficient for her. And that's the message in this whole series, is that God's grace is sufficient for you if you will believe in him and trust him. Whatever your present day circumstances are, you can work through it and walk through it to a place that we might call victory. And in so doing, do it in a Christ-like and righteous way. And in that way, everyone, except perhaps the Nables of this world, ends up a winner. It's an extraordinary thing. We're fond of saying that it's a, this kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom because it so often and so many times actually seems to be counterintuitive. Somebody hurts with you, you want to pop their eyes out. Somebody robs from you, you want to give them a good kick and then call the police. You know, but actually what God does via his Holy Spirit, he enables his people, you church, me church, to model a different way where we begin to take God at his word as our deliverer, as our rescuer, as one who fights our battles even in the complexities of the 21st century. So this is good news for today. Good news for Abigail 2,700 years ago, an abused, a woman with an abusive husband. But good news for us today in all of life's challenges. Let's stand and pray. Oh, thank you. Let's have the band up, please. Thank you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, just want to say thank you to you. You know what we're like. We think somehow that today's challenges and the economy and Brexit and terrorists are all too complex for you and, and you've not seen it before. But the truth is, nothing seems to change in terms of the depravity of man. Nothing seems to change in, the, in our capacity to fall out with one another. Nothing seems to change when we seem to destroy that which was good. We seem to just go and move into excess and undermine the very good things in us. Nothing has changed. But Lord God, there is a change. There is one who can rescue us. There is one who can deliver us. There is one who speaks sense and truth to us and enables us to walk in Christ-like ways. Whatever our background, whatever our circumstances, whatever our predispositions. And we thank you for that, Lord. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.